As we come back and get settled, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's read verses 8 through 17 together this morning. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. And as always, we ask you to be our teacher, to lead us and to guide us into all truth as you promised you would do for your disciples, because God, we need it. Speak now for your servants are listening, in Jesus' name, amen. So finally is summing up things, and we've been through a lot of different topics, and Peter has a lot of different topics he wants to hit. It's amazing how much he's covered in five chapters in this first epistle. I sat down the other day to kind of map out how I thought the rest of First and Second Peter would go, and it's interesting that as soon as I did that, uh, my plan for today was completely shot, because as I began to get into and, and read and prepare and pray over this passage of Scripture, it just seemed like the Lord said, no, I want you to do this, I want you to, you know, just shorten it up, you know, in terms of the amount of Scripture we were going to cover today. And I think for good reason, and I hope and I pray it'll be apparent as we go through why the Lord wanted to do that. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. So as we read this passage here, verses 8 through 12, you can see here, probably in your Bible, it has a title, something like, Called to Blessing. And this is talking about both the blessing that God has given us as a result of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, but also he's speaking about this ever true thing that we find all throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, which is this, that if you are saved and if God has done something for you and if he's given you his Holy Spirit, And if he's given us his word, then there should be something happening within us. And that something is change. That we have to be changed by the word of God. If we can be a believer and be saved by the blood of the lamb and have the spirit of God within us and have his word and not be changed, then we probably are not saved. We probably are not born again if that's the case because it starts with that surrender in our hearts to the Lord of saying yes to him. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, Lord, please forgive me. It's that process of being born again. But he's saying here, finally, all of you and the all of you is all of you. So there's no group left out. There's no subclassification of people who get to skate through this one. All of you be of one mind, and that is a call to unity. 
And unity in the body of Christ is so important, it's so necessary, it is so needed. Where do we get this unity from? How do we get it? Well, I believe 1 Corinthians 2.16 opens the door and gives us a clue where it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Where do we get the mind of Christ but right here in this book, in his word? You see, being conformed to the image of Jesus and becoming of one mind within not just a local church, but within the body of Christ, the church, capital C, this is God's desire for his people, is that we are being conformed to the image of Jesus and becoming of one mind means that I and you and we, we must all be changed. This is part of the transforming work of God. He didn't save us to leave us as we are. And so often, what, what is the number one thing we resist in life? Is it not change? We get things just the way we like them, and we don't want anybody to mess it up. Isn't that true? It's true with everything. Our routine, you name it, right? We could go down a, a whole litany, right? We all have it. And there's a certain amount of routine and whatever, that's okay. I can't parse that out for you, but what I can tell you is if it leads us into lethargy, and if it leads us to a place where we are not open, open to making change as the Word of God speaks to us, then something is wrong with us. We are resisting being conformed to the image of Christ. And see, unity comes... By being of one mind, that means unanimously having one passion. Without unity, the church fails. Without unity among women and among men and among children and among people and, and races, you know, this isn't about culture. This is about life in the body of Christ. Unity is expressed in agreement and an absence of dissension and complaining. We might differ on how things are done in the body of Christ, but we should not differ on the mission and the purpose of what God has called us to do as a people, meaning what needs to be done and why it needs to be done. He's given us his great commission. He's given us his great commandment, the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them all things that I have given you, and lo, I'm with you always, and Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. These are the main things Jesus summed it all up as. And so how we get there and how we do it, uh, that's not necessarily the thing we are to be unified on. But that we are to do it, that this is important to God, this is his heart, and that he would put that heart within us and give us a desire to reach people and to share his gospel with others, that is important. There's a few verses here that talk about the idea of unity. Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. You know how it is sometimes, it has to be our way or the highway. And that's not the way God wants it to be in his church. Romans 15, now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And what did we see in the early church? We saw things like this, Acts chapter 1. These all continued with one accord. That's our same word for unity. In prayer and supplication, uh, Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were they were living in unity. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit. So at the end of Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. See, one of the 
great threats to unity is complexity. This is talking about simplicity of heart, just being happy you're saved and being happy that you know Jesus, being happy that your name is written in the book of life. Acts 4.24, this was uh, toward the end of the time when Peter and John had experienced severe persecution for healing the lame man outside of the gate beautiful going into the temple. It says in Acts 4.24, so when they heard that, uh, heard what had happened and how God had delivered Peter and all of that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see, this is why it's so important for worship, when we do corporate worship. That act of singing the same song together and having our voices, and you can hear it, right? You can hear the blending of the voices and the parts and the harmonies and all that. That's unity. We're all different when we have different voices and some may be able to sing one part better than another and all that, and some can carry a tune and some can't. That's okay because we are in unity approaching the throne of grace together. 2 Corinthians 13, finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And I love what he said in Philippians 1, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, here's the unity, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. All of that in the Greek means this. It's the idea of standing shoulder to shoulder, locking arms, and marching forward as a wall. Standing against and walking into the opposition. Unity, standing fast, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then finally, we could go through so many, right? Philippians 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He goes on to say, um, all of you be of one mind, then he says, having compassion for one another. So this word compassion has been used multiple times throughout the Bible. We talk about the gift of compassion. But compassion means sympathy, tender mercies. And remember when Jesus was moved with compassion, it meant that he was moved from within. And that word compassion goes to the deepest part of our being. And it, and it speaks of, of being moved within your bowels, not having a bowel movement, but having a deep sense of just feeling and identification with someone you know, who's disadvantaged or they're suffering or something's happened to them. And it's too easy, is it not, for us to just go through life and see something and hear about something with someone and just kind of go, man, that's tough. And then we just turn and drink our coffee and keep going and we feel nothing. And a part of the transformation, I believe, that Jesus wants to do in our lives is to give us compassion for people, sympathy, empathy, the ability to feel what God feels, what Jesus feels, the heart of God. This is a part of having compassion for one another. Romans 12, 15 says this. How, how often do we practice this? It reads as follows. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We like that part. And weep with those who weep. I think we, to some degree, have lost the art of sitting with someone when they are going through something deep, uh, a deep, hurtful trial. And maybe what they need is not our words and our wisdom. Well, you know what you should do. What they need so often is just us to sit with them. And if they're crying, that we cry with them. Maybe we don't even know exactly what they're crying about. But we sit with them. Sometimes sitting in silence without words can be the best thing. And identifying with someone who is going through some type of deep pain or grief. And then he said, love as brothers. 
Loving one another is something that was important to Jesus. He said that the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And yet, isn't it sadly the thing that so often people criticize the church about? When they talk about our hypocrisy, it's often because they see churches dividing and splitting and the the infighting and the backbiting, and we can't agree on this, that, and the other thing. I don't think I'll ever forget, I was so impacted the first time I was studying to teach Acts chapter 6, which is that glorious passage It talks about the appointing of the first people who became deacons in the church. And I remember Kent Hughes, whom I love, he's an incredible commentator. Uh, it was his commentary, and I can almost see the, page, the words on the page, and he talked about this story that happened in a church in Dallas many years ago, and he starts with, you know, present day. They're in, they're in court, and people are suing one another. And so the judge is trying to figure out why are people in this church, you know, the church of Jesus Christ, why are they suing one another? And as they trace the story back, they found out that what happened is one Wednesday night at the church's ham and bean supper, when one of the elders went up for seconds, there was a little kid in front of him who got a bigger piece of meat than he did. And that upset him greatly. Because the server should have saved the bigger piece for him and given the smaller piece to the child. And that was the root of everything that blew up and caused this church split and caused them to be in the court. And once the, George, the, once the, George, once the judge found that out, he threw it out of court. But when people see those kinds of things, what do they think of the church? Where's love? A piece of meat, a ham, the size of a piece of ham? I mean, come on. That's silly, isn't it? Love is brothers. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And then he said, be tender-hearted. Now, it's interesting here. This is a little bit redundant, but the word tender-hearted is the word compassionate. So he already said to be compassionate, and now he's saying being tender-hearted. And so this idea here is, is sort of a, a nuance of compassion where it's talking about letting our hearts feel and trying to find out and to understand what is, what is the issue with our brother or our sister who is uh, in pain or suffering. In other words, going deeper, it's not just that general sense of compassion, but it's a tenderheartedness that goes to the next level, that's willing to go there and to take the time to sit down, to slow down, and to be with the person. And then he says, be courteous. And what he's talking about there is something that's very plain and simple. Be kind to one another and have good manners. I'm not going to ask you how many of you feel like you have good manners. By good manners, I mean things like, our courteous nature to people. You know, if you see somebody coming behind you, do you hold the door for them? Do you speak to them? You know, in this culture here, this is, you know, we don't like to talk to strangers, do we? But I think this is exactly what God wants us to do. Be courteous to people. Hi, how are you today? Greet them. Look at them. Smile at them. Make eye contact with them. We avoid this, don't we? Like the plague. In New England, I'm telling you, as someone who's not from here, although I feel like I should be because I've been here since 1984, that when I go to other parts of the country, I'm telling you, it is distinctly different. And people don't mind looking at you and saying hello and saying good morning and how's your day and how are the kids and how's your wife doing and, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they just say it. Just be kind. Be courteous. Show interest in people. Because if we don't have that, how do we expect to connect with people? How do we ever expect to have the right one day to speak into their life and hopefully that they would be willing to give us the time of day to listen to what we have to say? He's going to talk about that more in a moment. But a part of this, as we've talked about these things he wants us to do, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, is... In church life, in the body of Christ, one of the things he wants us to do is to call out to one another for help. And this is another thing we don't do well because it means we got to let go of our pride and we need to humble ourselves and say, 
I'm going through something. Could you just pray for me? Could you help me? Interestingly, I don't think these things are accidents. As I was sitting in uh, Starbucks yesterday studying, which I like to do, this song came on. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, bam, I was there because this was in my day. The song Lean on Me by Bill Weathers, 1972. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Please swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, for no one can fill those needs of, uh, that you won't let show, you just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. What a great song. I love that song. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. If there's a load you have to bear that you can't carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share your load if you just call me, call me, call me. I love that. That gets at the heart of what he's talking about here, that we need to literally lean upon one another. Now, so many of us will say to someone who's hurting or in need, hey, man, if you need anything, call me. But, you know, a lot of times that doesn't work because sometimes the person we're speaking to and what they're going through doesn't even know what they need. And so we have to reach out. We have to be the one who takes the initiative. And he goes on to say here in verse 9, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, So in other words, if somebody says something mean to you or they speak evil to you, don't turn around and give it back to them. That's what the world does. We are not the world. We are the church. We are believers in Jesus Christ. But on the contrary, blessing. So the way it would read is this, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but return blessing when you're cussed out. Return blessing when someone gives you that unkind gesture. Give a blessing when people are mad at you. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. And here's the idea. Don't we all want blessing? I want to be blessed. Don't you want to be blessed? We have been blessed. He's going to say, if you hold your finger here and turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1, of course, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but no harm reinforcing it now. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, our, and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Right? This is blessing, is it not? Blessing in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, primarily means that we get to be in the presence of God. The presence of God in our lives is blessing. See, before we come to know Christ, we don't have the presence of God in our lives. We're dead spiritually. We're dead to sin. We're dead in our our trespasses. And when we become born again, that's when God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives. And because he comes, he makes us different. He comes in. He cleans the house. he, He shows us his way. He reveals to us who he is. There's I don't know if we have it out in the bookstores, this great little booklet. I first came across it when I was in college umpteen years ago, and it was called My Heart, Christ's Home. And if, if they're out there, take one. Uh, there's a little booklet, I don't know, probably 12, 15 pages, but it just talks about how when Christ comes into our life, and it uses the analogy of a house, how he comes in and he cleans up the living room, and you know he cleans us. And he talks about in that analogy how we might have a room, just like we always do. We all have it, right? People are coming over. What do you do? You take all your junk, throw it into a room and shut the door so they don't go in there. 
right? We all have it. Jesus wants to go in that room. So, we were called to inherit a blessing, but we're also called to be a blessing. This goes against our nature, doesn't it, as human beings? When something goes wrong, when someone gets mad at us, when someone speaks of us, you know, what we want to do is have our feelings heard and we want to be vindicated and we want to just, you know, make our point and all of that and you can't do that and blah, 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 and we just get mad. And he's saying, no, 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 this is not who you are. You are not to respond the way the world responds. When you're wronged, when someone speaks evil of you, when they revile you, on the contrary, be a blessing. This is what you were called to. Listen to this. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ because of the lavish blessings that he has given us to go deeper, to go further, to go higher. You know when Jesus said, as he was talking about when they come, uh, the Romans would come and maybe lay a heavy burden on them and say, you need to carry my backpack. And he said, if they make you carry it one mile, which was the law, carry it too. This is how we show the world the love of Jesus, by not responding the way the world responds. And we can't do that simply because we determined to be nice people and I'm going to get up today and I'm going to have patience. That's not how it happens. You know how patience comes? By the filling of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control with the tongue. How does it happen? But when we get up in the morning, we say, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. I want to be a spirit-filled Christian. I don't want to do these things. I don't want to respond in an evil way. I want to respond with a blessing. I want to be a blessing to people, God. You see, that requires us to get outside of ourselves, doesn't it? To get, get off of our self-centered mindset, which is so common. We, we all have it and we know it. Listen. The gospel is not about you, it's about him. And it's what he's done for us. He wants us to be a blessing. And he goes on to say, verse 10, and he's quoting here from Psalm 34. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I love this. Psalm 34, I'll read it to you, but it says almost exactly the same thing. Psalm 34, verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit or guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. He's saying so much here in such a short span of words. So when he says, for he who would love life and see good days, let me just stop and ask the question, do you love life? Do you want to see good days in your life? When he says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, doesn't that imply that we're going to go through stuff? That we might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we might encounter difficulty, that we might encounter opposition? You see, the promise when it is not about a carefree life that has no problems and no worries. We are never promised that in the Bible. Never. No matter what any prosperity preacher may tell you, that is not in the Bible. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. In other words, we have self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. And his lips from speaking deceit. That's talking about people behind their backs. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Don't do what comes naturally to your flesh. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I want to come back to that a little bit later, so we're going to hold on that one. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So what is God saying? I'm watching you. Not because I'm, you know, worried you're going to get into trouble. It's just God's like, I'm watching you. You're my kids. Just like we watch our kids. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So control your tongue. Be filled with the Spirit. Turn away from the evil. Be filled with the Spirit. The turn away is like repent. Turn and run in the other direction. You know, a great example of that is Joseph with Potiphar's wife. You may remember as he was sold into slavery into Egypt by his brothers, put into a position he didn't want. They wanted to kill him, and then they sold him as a slave, and they sent him to Egypt. And Joseph is now serving in Potiphar's house, who is the second in command to the Pharaoh. And as he's there serving one day, the wife comes along and decides she wants to try to get him to lay with her. And what does he do? Immediately he says, I can't sin against God and I can't sin against my master. So he turned and ran. And as he ran, she grabbed his coat. It came off, but he didn't care. He was getting out of there. And that's the idea. Turn away from evil. Run. Get away from it as quickly as you can. Don't stand close to it. Don't entertain it. Run from it. Verse 13, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In other words, do the right things. You say, but what if when I do the right things, I still get punished and people still make fun of me? That's okay. We're not here to win points with people. We're here to serve God and stay true to him all of our days. And God has promised that when our light shines in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, God will take care of quickening people's hearts. They will see it. And if they don't give praise to God in this life, they will certainly give praise to God in the next life because they'll say, those people did model the gospel for me. They did preach to me. They showed me the love of Christ, but I didn't want it. I shunned it. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? In other words, just do what is good and leave it in God's hands. When we are facing opposition from people, I think a good place to go, and you should bookmark this, is in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." This is what God has done for us. So when we get in those hard times and we're in those rough waters and things just aren't going right and people are coming against us and the worst is happening, turn to Romans 8. Read Romans 8, 31 through 39. Pray that because this is God's promise for how he will be with you in the midst of those things. And verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Wow. You're blessed. Why? Because God's in your life. And he says, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't fear men. Don't fear what they can do to you. Because we belong to God. Back at the beginning of our study in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, and this is what the world needs to see, 
being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not only does the world need to see it, but we need to see it. When we see a consistent life in the midst of the body of Christ, and we talk with them and we say, hey man, what's your secret? And then they say, look man, I just get up every day and open the word and read it and just let God speak to me. Uh, that's all I got. And I need it because between sessions I forget. So I need to be reminded and that's why I do it. You see, God blesses us that we might be a blessing. When James wrote, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Well, we don't get patience by not having trials. We get patience by having trials. It's important that we have trials. And when he said, And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, he's saying to us, Fear God more than we fear mankind. If we do suffer for his sake, then we are blessed. Remember the disciples, right as they began to be persecuted there at the very beginning of the church, what did they do after they were beaten and put in jail and all of that? They got together with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They had a, a prayer meeting and they said, Lord, thank you. Because that means they're hearing about you. That means that we're doing something right. And someone, I don't know, Spurgeon or somebody said, you know, if, if you're not having any difficulty, any persecution from anybody, then you might want to check if you are really saved, if you are really living for Christ. But notice what he says in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So the idea of sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts, that's our word for holy. Set, a, set apart the Lord in your heart. Sanctify him, make him holy. Give him a special place in your heart. If we fear God more than we fear people, then we won't fear people. There's a proverb that says, the fear of man brings a snare. When we become more concerned about what people think about us with respect to our faith, and we compromise, and we decide, well, I'm not going to say something. When they say something, you know, like, hey, why don't you go out drinking with everybody? <clears throat> well, you know, I have health issues. I can't do that. We come up with some excuse. As opposed to, you know what? When I got saved, I gave all that stuff up. I don't need to do that anymore. I have Christ in my life. Or something like that. That will, may, it may bring their ire. They may go, oh, holy roller or whatever. That's okay. Let them say what they want to say. But for you and me, we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. And notice what it says, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. You see, the alternative to fear is to focus on Jesus. So, fear God rather than man Always be ready, the word apologia, we get our English word apology or apologetics. A ready defense, not defensiveness, but a reason for the hope that what's in it, within us. You see, that's what we want, isn't it? We want people to see, you know, you have a hope that I don't have. You have something that I don't see normally in people. What is it that you have? And so the defense or the answer that we are to be ready to give is simply to point people to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're reading your Bible at all on some kind of regular basis, just devotionally, just you and the Lord meeting together, 
then I believe you will be ready. It doesn't mean you have to have studied and gone to the school of apologetics. It just means you have to be familiar with this book. And your answers don't have to be college professor level. They should be basic Bible believer level. What is the gospel? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I believe that. And because of that, that's why this, this hope in me that you say you see, praise God that you see hope in me. You see, I didn't have hope before until Jesus came into my life. Just to simply give your testimony. It's not hard. It's not intimidating. Just be ready. And this is a part of being filled with the Spirit. See, this implies that there is hope within me. And if you have that hope, and that hope is being reinforced daily as you read this book, then it's right there. It's, it's on the tip of your tongue. It's ready to go. It's sort of like having a go bag. It's like having a spare tire in your car. It's like having an emergency kit if there's something going on, having a couple of flares to pop out behind your car if you get stranded on a freeway. It's just being ready, having your kit ready to go. And so hope, the Bible is full of hope. Hope is everywhere. What is hope? First of all, that God's word is true. That what he said of me is true, that when I was saved, that I'm going to be with him one day in heaven. That there is a judgment coming for the living and the dead. And when I stand before him, I'm going to be judged by the blood of Christ, not by my own sin. Praise God for that. All those who don't have Christ, they're judged for their sin before the throne of God. And I hope and pray you don't have to be there. I want you to be where I'm going to be on, before the, the, the throne of Jesus where he judges us for, you know, being Christians, for being in Christ, as opposed to being without Christ before the great white throne. It's not that hard. Matthew 5, again, the Beatitudes, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. We put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we don't do things in an ostentatious way so that people might see us and go, oh man, you're such a good Christian. I love you. You're my role model. That's not what we're living for on an outward sense. But we do hope that people will see that there is something in my life. And it's not me. There's nothing good within me that is in my flesh. Only if there's anything good in me, it's Christ. If you see anything in me, it's, it's the goodness of God. And a reason, logos, reasoning. Logos, of course, is the word. If we're just ready to give him the word, then that's, that's all we can do. Remember, don't respond to people with harshness when they treat us harshly. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't return evil for evil. So, I have to go a little quicker here. We've got a couple of other things to cover. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So if you and I ever find ourselves in the place where we're suffering for having been a Christian, suffering for doing good, suffering because we profess the name of Jesus. Notice what he says here. It's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you're suffering for being a witness for Jesus, that's okay. You don't want to be suffering because you did evil and you deserve the punishment. So being filled with the Spirit, being ready to give an answer when we need to, that's what he's calling us to. But I was telling Pastor Mitch beforehand, this happens sometimes when I'm studying. And yesterday, I just felt like it was a flood that I couldn't shut off. And I want to go back to verse 11, where he said, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. I want to talk about peace for just a moment. There's aspects of peace, certainly. There's peace with God. And that's the peace we all need through the gospel. 
that's Romans 5, you know, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can never know peace in any way, shape, or form in our lives until we have that peace. Peace with God. Once we have the peace with God, knowing that he's not going to judge us for our sin, that our sin has been judged at the cross by the blood of Christ. Then he says, you and I can know the peace of God. What does that mean? When there's trial and strife and turmoil in our lives, and that can come on many levels. And part of what he's talking about here is the strife we have with other people. And there's certainly an aspect to that. But it says here, let him seek peace and pursue it. So look at the words seek and pursue. Seeking and pursuing are both active. And what we're doing is we're trying to find something. We're striving for something. So we could be seeking peace and pursuing peace when we have relational issues with people. And there's many scriptures. I could give you a hundred. I'm only not going to do that. I'm going to give you just a couple here. But it talks about on the human relational level that we want to seek and pursue peace with others. First, we want that peace with God. Now we want the peace of God in our lives. And a person who has peace with God and the peace of God can be a person at peace. But here's what I felt like the Lord was pressing upon me yesterday heavily. Do you, do I, do we have peace in our souls? So right now today, and I'm going to ask you in a little, little bit of discomfort, are you at peace in your soul right now today? And if not, why not? Is it because you don't have peace with God? Then the simple answer is, please, give your heart to Jesus Christ. He's been knocking at your door for a long time. Today's not the first time. But know this, you will never know true peace in your life without him. But what today, if you're a believer and you're not at peace? It could be at peace with people, whatever it may be. But listen, are you at peace? If you, what do you think about when it's quiet? What do you think about at night? What is it that occupies your soul? Are you at peace in your soul? Is there something that's causing strife, that's stirring up dissension in your heart? You know, we're coming to the communion table here in just a moment. And I just felt like, again, he was pressing this upon me to say, look, maybe there's relational issues. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And that's you know, those who like, you know, we see an issue maybe between two people and we want to go try to be a broker for peace and see if we can be a unifier and an encourager. That's a good thing. But what about a lack of peace with God? Well, if, if you are a believer, but you don't have peace in your relationship with him, it could be many causes of that. I'm not here to be your psychologist today, but you know if there's a lack of peace in your heart. The Greek word for peace is Irene, and I always think it sounds like Irene. The peace of God is where God reigns and where he rules. And I would suggest to you today that if you're struggling with peace and if your soul is not at rest as a believer in Jesus Christ, then there's something you need to make right, either in your relationship with him or possibly with other people. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Jesus says, when you come to the table, by Matthew 5, 23, bring your gift to the altar, and, and if you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Peace is so important. So today, if you don't have the peace of God, I, I ask you, I plead with you, I call you to please 
Surrender your life to Christ now. And if you are a believer in Christ, but you are struggling with peace and you don't have it, whatever the reasons may be, I'm going to ask you this morning as we close and before we come to the table. And I'd like for us to close our eyes now and bow our heads. If you need prayer, would you just shoot up your hand? I don't need to know the reasons, right? Just how can I pray for you? Shoot up your hand. All right. Praise God. All right. Amen. Lord, as we come to you this morning, there are some who have raised their hands, and I'm sure there's many who have not, that maybe we're just not at peace. God, we need you so desperately this morning to touch our lives. Lord, to bring peace. It, your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Would you bring your peace to us right now? Lord, if there's something we need to confess, then I, I pray that that would, would happen. And Lord, maybe we're just striving because there's anger and bitterness within our hearts. It could be general, it could be specific. But we ask you, God, please, right now, calm the storm in our hearts and deal with the issues. Maybe it's self-centeredness. Maybe it's some hurt we're holding on to from the past. But God, we can't continue this way. The world will never see a hope within us if we're constantly living within our own turmoil. It prevents the light from shining and the hope from going forth. Lord, more importantly, it affects us, it affects our homes, it affects those around us. God, do that deep work of the Spirit right now for us, we pray. If there's specific sin we're struggling with, God, in this moment, bring us to a place of relenting and repenting and letting it go. You tell us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. You tell us that love covers a multitude of sins and sometimes... We've just got to let stuff go and let you do your work within our hearts and trust you to do work in that other person's heart and to pray for them that you would do the same work in them that you are doing in me. So Lord, this morning, blessing and peace. Thank you, Lord. We call upon you now. And as we sing a song and come to the table and then Pastor Mitch comes and leads us to the table. We trust that you've got something for us and you're going to lead us there. And we pray, Lord, this morning, I ask you that as we take the, the bread and the cup that you would restore our peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.